Today is part 10 of our Joshua series, and I entitled today's message, On God's Side. And I want to begin with a simple question for you. When you got saved, when you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, when you surrendered to God and said, it's not about you anymore, but it's about Him, did your life get better? Now, I would, I would assume that if you're thinking through this, you're probably going to say, what do you mean by better? If it was, did your life get easier, and you think that better is easier, the answer to that is likely what? No. If you mean better in the sense of more healthy, more fulfilling, doing what you were built to do, then the answer certainly would be yes. There is a big difference between living life sold out to Christ and it being hard, and living a life where you're in control and constantly hurting other people, hurting yourself, and having regret. How much does regret weigh? I mean, where you have all these memories in your mind where you did it your way, and literally as you're driving down the road, you shudder every time you think of it. You know what I mean? Where you have those, oh, that was me, that's embarrassing. Man, I can't believe I did that. Or, wow, I devastated that person. Or, you know what I mean? It's because you were doing it your way. It's totally different to go through life, which is already hard, to know that God is by your side, that you've joined in on what he's doing, that now he is helping you fight your battles and you're not fighting him alone. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Your spirit never feels as full as when you are partnered with Christ. Your spirit never feels as full as when you are partnered with Christ. Remember, When the commander of the army of the Lord came up to Joshua and Joshua said, are you on our side or the enemy's side? He said, neither. I'm on my side. Question is, are you on my side? See, being on God's side changes everything. What you do if you're doing it on God's side is knowing that you're logging eternal time. It's not about what? Oh my gosh, my life doesn't mean anything, I have no identity. None of that should be the case for the believer. Because you do have an identity, you are valuable. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ likes you. He's chasing after you and he's building you internally to be the man or woman that God designed you to be. I don't want anyone that is a believer in Jesus Christ to go to bed at night and say, I'm wasting my life away. That would be such a sad state. But if we begin to sell completely over everything and say, God, what are we doing today? He's going, well, you're going to work. All right, well, I went to work yesterday. It doesn't seem to be doing anything. Nope, it's important. I want you to go to work because I'm shaping you. But God, my job doesn't do anything for the kingdom. You know what? That's God's business. And as a matter of fact, it does. Otherwise, he wouldn't have you there. I want you to understand that if you're submitted to the Lord, your life matters every single minute of it. There's no wasted time. If you haven't already, turn with me to Joshua chapter 10, verse 1, page 158. Let's recap. Israel has gone through a couple battles so far, and all they do is keep blowing it. They've tripped up, tripped up, tripped up. They did the Jericho thing, ruined it. They didn't do what God told them to do. Somebody messed up. Then they fail in their next battle. They had to clean that stuff up. They finally win that battle. Then they move on. The next thing, right when they get up, they're all confident. Here comes Satan and the tricks. 
All of a sudden, an enemy nation comes in, lies to them, leads them astray, and they fall again. They compromise. Now they're going to have to deal with the consequences of it. Now they're trying to get up again. But now they're slowly getting it through their head that radical obedience is the only way to live. You've got to submit that to the Lord. You can't just say, God, I'm going to pick and choose when I want to follow you. Because then you've got a lot of your drama mixed up with a lot of God's plans. And you can't figure out what's screwing things up. You've got to be all in. You know, I was going home yesterday and I was just thinking about this and thinking about all the sin temptations that come through my head and in my life and going, do I even understand what radical obedience is? Because sin still has a dramatic pull to me. I still don't see sin as something that's going to ruin everything. I still see it as you can do a little bit and it's not going to have a big impact. But what we're learning day after day in the scripture is it does have an eroding effect. It has a devastating effect in our lives. We've got to own. How long is it going to take for us to learn from our mistakes until we say yes, Lord, on a consistent basis? Once Israel locks into that, watch how different the stories go. Joshua chapter 10, verse 1. Let's pray for the word. Heavenly Father, would you open up our eyes? To see what you have for us. We sit at your feet and learn in Jesus name. Amen. Joshua 10.1 says this. Now Adonai Zedek. That means Lord of righteousness. Now Adonai Zedek. King of Jerusalem. Now remember Jerusalem is not an Israeli city at this time. It was known in the ancient world as Jebus. So the people were Jebusites. This is the first mention in scripture of the word Jerusalem. Jerusalem later is going to be a holy city. Right now it's an enemy camp that they have to fight through. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it. Doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, meaning wiped out all that was living. And that the people of Gibeon had made a peace treaty with Israel and were living among them. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. What's going on? It means the southern city area of Jerusalem was getting a little bit paranoid because here comes this mighty army of Israel who, though they're regular folk, seem to be doing some devastating work. They're cutting through the very center in a slight arc of the promised land. As they start going down through, all the cities are starting to get more and more southern. And that's making the southern people nervous. Well, that's obviously the strategy. Many leaders have taken the Israel land that way. You cut it across the middle, you dominate the south, and you dominate the north. That's how you win. You cut them off from each other. They're almost done cutting through. So Jerusalem is getting real nervous. So they try a coalition of all the southern guys to go, we got to stop this. If they break through, we're done. So Adonai Zedek, this king of Jerusalem, he and all his people are completely panicked over this. Verse 3, so Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, right? He must have been exciting. (laughs) To Hoham, king of Hebron. I know, ladies, some of you think you married that guy. I get it. All right. Hoham, king of Hebron. 
Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. There's five of them. Now, Hebron, that first city, that's a pretty big deal. That's a place where Abraham was buried, Sarah, Jacob, Leah, Rachel. They were all buried there. As a matter of fact, all but Joseph, all of Jacob's sons were buried in that same region. It ends up becoming the capital of the whole region later on for David before Jerusalem was ever the capital. Hebron's a big deal. Some of these are very large cities. Some are unwalled, small cities. But five of these guys bring together. He says to them, verse 4, Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. They're like, let's go kill the traitors. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon, and they attacked it. Now, the only reason Israel's involved, and they should never be involved, is because they compromised and got tricked. Now they're dealing with the consequences. So Gibeon says, The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. All right, side note, let's make it practical. When you compromise and do it your way and bad stuff happens, consequences will chase after you. When you say, Lord, I blew it, I'm sorry, please forgive me, you are cleansed. But that does not necessarily stop the oncoming consequences. They're still chasing after you. The reason why I'm being very clear on that is I have a lot of people in my office that are saying, I'm sick of trying to do the Christian thing. It's not working. I still have this problem, this problem, and this problem. Hold on. Christianity was never about getting stuff in an easy life. If that's what you're looking for, you grab the wrong faith. If you wanted something deeper where things matter, you got the right faith. But as far as getting easy stuff, no, that's not going to do it. Not only that, but if you start making right decisions now, that's going to affect your future, but you're still dealing with the consequences of the past. Don't quit because you're like, it's not making any difference. It is. It is making a difference. Everything you do and submit to God now will matter later. But you need to give it some time. You need to be consistent in making good decisions for it to pay off. I know you want it to turn around fast. I know you want it to go, you know what, I'm good with the Lord. Why can't everything just work out? Because that's not how this world works. If that ever happens, that's called a miracle. Right? And I have some buddies that, you know what, when they decided to stop doing pot, God took away absolutely in an instant the desire. That's the tiny percentage. All the rest of them had to kick a habit like everybody else. You understand what I'm saying? We're built into habits. We're built into consequence. That doesn't mean God is against you. It just means you now have the Lord to help you sort it out. All right? Moves on. Says this. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. That means this guy overnight went east 20 to 25 miles uphill. 
They're going to climb 4,000 feet above sea level. All night long, tough terrain, rocky terrain, difficult terrain. They scattered all the way up, all night long, under the light of the moon. They're going to be exhausted when they arrive. Why? To help out these guys, they never should have had to help out in the first place. But they made a treaty, and their word is good. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now that's going to suggest the only reason God talked to him is because he checked in. Joshua's learning that before you do anything, you check in with God. Last time he didn't, and it didn't go well. All right? God said, we can do this. Imagine living a life where you audibly heard before a task, God said, we got it. I'm behind you. 100%. We're in. How comforting would that be? That has never happened to me. I've never had God audibly go, Lance, we got it. It's all nailed down. I'm fighting for you. But I do have in the back of my mind a running reel that says, I'm submitting my life to God so I know he will accomplish his purposes and I feel good about that. I know that even if I fail, God will be glorified. Why? Because my life is given to him. That does make me feel peaceful. Instead of having this constant panic of, got to be successful, got to be successful. That is not my problem. That's God's problem. He'll sort that one out. You know, it's funny because last night before we uh, came out to do the worship set and and do the, the sermon, I was praying in the back and I said, God, I want you to have glory, even if that means the power goes out, something screws up, the sermon bombs, whatever. I'm like, Lord, I would now, honestly, what I would love is for me to look good and you to look good, right? That's, of course, what I always want. But what if that doesn't bring about God's glory? So sure enough, I finished the message last night. And last night was just convoluted. It was a nightmare. And I'm like, God, you weren't supposed to take that seriously. I mean, I know I was just praying that, but come on. But I have, and my wife reminded me when I got home. You got to remember, it's not like you think it is. God's working. It's fine. It's tough to get through our heads. Check this out. It's totally different when God fights. It says, after an all-night march from Gilgal, 20 to 25 miles, Joshua took him by surprise while it was still dark. The Lord threw them into confusion. That word is panic and terror in Hebrew. He threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them at a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky and more of them died from the hailstones and were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Now God knows how to fight. Right? I will throw big balls of ice on your head and I will kill you. Now... Here's the thing. When they were going in to fight, there's no way they could have dreamed Joshua's going to be little X's and O's in the dirt, right? All right, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to attack him by surprise. Then God's going to throw him into confusion. Then he's going to throw big balls of hail on him. That was never going to be in his plan. 
Why? Because you don't know what God has up his sleeve. Every time we try to fight our battles alone, you're looking at your resource bag and it looks pretty lame. God has resources you don't even dream of. You never would have thought of hail. Joshua never would have thought it. That's a, that's a weird one, right? That's kind of stupid because you think of hail like this. And they're like, oh, a little bit of hail, right? No, well, you got a hundred pound boulder falling on your head, right? And God's just specifically going, dink, dink, and knocking out all the bad guys. That's pretty awesome. That's exactly what he did. Because when God is fighting his battles, he uses his toolbox. We need to submit our lives and let him fight his battles. If it's your battle, fine, you fight it. If it's God's battle, he fights it. It's a big difference. Then it says, On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ihalon. All right, stop. This is one of the weirdest miracles in the Bible. What Joshua just did was pray a prayer and make a command. It is different than all the other answered prayers that you see in Scripture. How? I do not fully know. But we're about to have it qualified here in a second. Now let's figure out why he did this. I want you to picture the scenario. Joshua and his men, all of them, have been running all night long. 25 miles, all their gear, by the light of the moon. They surprise the enemy, get into a huge fight, their adrenaline's kicked up, hail's raining down, they don't know exactly what's going on, the enemy's in confusion, they're exhausted. Now, they have five armies they're fighting all over the place. They know they only have a limited amount of time to utilize the daylight to finish the job. They're not going to make it. There's too many things to clean up. The minute it starts getting dark again, all those enemies will go to their walled cities and hide out, and they'll have to go through and systematically wipe them all out. Joshua, as a strategic leader, said, we're not going to make it. And immediately he calls out, almost like when Jesus Christ calmed the wind and the waves, and somehow, someway, prays and commands for the sun and moon to stop. That's pretty bold. Now, that's absolutely impossible. Yet that is what he said. What does the Bible say? So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on his enemies as it is written in the book of Jasher. We don't have Jasher anymore. That's an old Hebrew book that was a poem of mighty victories of the Israelis. We don't have that. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for about a full day. All right, this is where everybody that is trying to critique the Bible loses it. Told you, completely violates science. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Oh, you stopped the sun. All right, genius. The sun's not moving. We're moving. We're a little spinning ball going around a big ball. All right? So the sun is not going to stop anywhere. The sun is already where it's at. We're the ones moving around, so Joshua doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay, I'll give you that. Let's say Joshua does not have all the physical laws that we know and understand the universe. And so he prays a prayer that is statistically or, or the accuracy is off. Let's say scientifically he does pray a messed up prayer. Has there ever been a prayer that was accurate? You're really that arrogant to think that your prayer was accurate. 
You have no idea what you're talking about. I have never prayed an accurate prayer in my life. Oh, God, uh, I got to get to work on time. Please help me to move through traffic quicker. You understand how stupid that prayer is? You don't even know what you're asking for. What, all of a sudden God just stops all cars everywhere? Right? What that would do? Come on, if you really got the prayers that you were praying for, this world would be chaos. No, of course he has to sift every single prayer you give. Your prayers are never accurate. Oh, have you ever prayed for something that you found out later they didn't really have that disease? They had a different disease. Right? Oh, God, please help them with their cancer of so and And they're like, actually, I have this. You're like, oh, sorry about that, man. I should have shot straight. Right? No, God's always sifting. He's always going through that and making up for what we don't understand. But what happened that day? The Bible says that the sun stopped. Regardless of what Joshua prayed, it says that happened. What do we make of it? You got five choices. You ready? Number one, a hailstorm darkened the sky and it looked like the sun was blocked out and stopped, but it wasn't really. Number two, it's a solar eclipse. The sun blocked out, uh, the sun was blocked out, same exact thing, nothing really happened, it just looked like it. Number three, Joshua was using poetic language to talk about how dramatic that day was, and he didn't even think that it was a miracle. Number four, There was a local refraction of the sun's rays, like the miracle in Egypt, where it was dark in Egypt, but light in Goshen. Do you remember? Or, we have one of the most massive, bizarre miracles of Scripture. I'm going to tell you that it's the last. Why? One of two things happened. Either the sun began to move and went around and stayed for a while, through the rest of the universe into chaos, or the earth stopped rotating for a period of time. You go, now Lance, I know you're not good at science, but if we stop the little ball from rotating, we all fly off. <laughs> I know. But it's been said that if you can believe the first sentence of the Bible, you can believe everything else. What is the first sentence of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If he made everything out of nothing... I don't think keeping us on the balls that hard. <laughs> I think he's pretty good at it. And he stopped the sun somehow, some way. They got extra time and they finished the job. It says, there is, look at verse 14. There's never been a day like it before or since. You're going to go, wow, because he stopped the sun? Nope. What's the next phrase? A day when the Lord listened to a man. Something about that prayer was weird. And God went, all right, let's do that. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel, and Joshua returned with all the Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Now the five kings had fled, and they had hidden in the cave at Makedah. When Joshua was told that the five kings were found hiding in the cave, he said, Roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave, post some men to guard it, but don't stop. Pursue your enemies, attack them from the rear, and don't let them reach their cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hand, meaning let's make most of this. So Joshua and the Israelites destroyed them completely, almost to a man, but the few who were left, they did reach their fortified cities. 
The whole army then returned safely to Joshua in the camp by the cave, and no one uttered a word against the Israelites. And Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave, bring those five kings out to me. So they brought out the five kings, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. That's where you get the sports analogy of keep your foot on their necks. Right? That's the whole thing. It is an Eastern way of showing total domination. You put the other king down, keep your foot on his neck and go, look, what are you going to do? I got you completely pinned. Nothing. You stand up, I'll kill you. I'm going to kill you anyway. That's the whole idea. Joshua said, do not be afraid. Meaning, look at this, guys. I know we've been freaking out because we weren't doing things right with God and we kept losing. We're doing it right now. I want you to pay attention. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you're going to fight. Then Joshua struck and killed the kings, hung them on five trees to dishonor them, and they were left hanging on the trees until evening. According to law, at sunset, Joshua gave the order. They took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had been hiding. And at the mouth of the cave, they placed large rocks as a monument, which are there to this day. That day, Joshua took the city. He put the city and its king to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it and left no survivors. And he did to that king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Makedah to Libna and attacked it. Verse 31, then Joshua and all Israel moved on from Libna to Lachish. Verse 33, meanwhile, Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, but Joshua defeated them and their army until no survivors were left. Verse 34, then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Lachish to Eglon, then you see to Hebron, then Debir. Verse 40. So Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the desert region called the Negev, the western foothills and the mountain slopes, together with all their kings. He left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua subdued them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza, and from the whole region of Goshen to Gibeon. All these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign, because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned to all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Whole different ballgame when you're doing it God's way. When they kept compromising, when they kept doing it their own way, it was trip up, trip up, trip up. See the difference? All of a sudden, click, 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 click. All of a sudden the battles, because it was God's call on their life. God knows what he needed to get done. He said, guys, you're ready to go. I'll go do this with you. And nailed them all down in order. Very little resistance. They wiped them out completely. Exactly according to plan. We must make this personal. The servant of Jesus Christ starts every day by seeking where God is moving and going and joining him. Because you want to be in the fight that God started, not that you started. And you spend all your energy supporting what God is doing. If we continue to submit our plans to the Lord, not with a rubber stamp, God just say I'm good, but a God, is this what you want? Things go differently. I'm not guaranteeing everything is going to succeed, but I will guarantee you everything will be valuable. 
that's different. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you soften our hearts and excite our spirits to chase after you. May you be glorified and praised in us, in what we do. And may we understand this concept of radical obedience. That, Lord, you are mighty, you are powerful, and the battles that you fight, you win. Lord, all the battles that I have taken upon myself, all the battles that I have disobeyed you on, all the battles and drama that I self-create, Lord, those cause me heartache. But the ones that you are involved in, I can fight with all diligence. Be praised in us, in Jesus' name.